listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians 3, I want to go on a journey for just a few moments. Um, I wasn't even supposed to speak today, but we are actually in a, in a moment as a community where we are focusing on the generations. How many of you remember last week? We're focusing, and we, we believe that out of the 21-day fast in May, that God spoke to us about God bringing the generations together. From generation to generation, we would see God move. How many of you are hungry to see God move? Are you alive? Come on. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not just here to try to do church. I want to see God move in my generation and the generation before me and beyond me in a powerful way that we can never do just by strategizing. Are you with me? We want to see God move and do something where we're like, oh my goodness, God, God, you're doing something above and beyond. So we, we started last week by just acknowledging that God is moving the generations together. Say together. He's moving the generations together and he is knitting us as a family together. And he's teaching us and he's giving us fresh eyes and fresh value for one another. So I just want to say, as I said last week, if you're in this room, whether you're 10 years old or you're 80 years old, I believe that you have divine destiny on your life. I'm going to say it again. You're not just stumbling through life just trying to get through. You may have gone through or may be in a difficult season, but that difficult season, that delay, that discouragement, that disappointment does not disqualify you from the assignment, the plan, and the purpose that God has for your life. I'm jealous for this. Listen, all is right in the world today. My wife is back. My baby's here. I want to show you a picture. I want to show you a picture that's going to change your life. Look at that. That's a life-changing picture. Saw Mikael's here. But this is why I'm so passionate even about this conversation. Because if all we're doing in this moment is dreaming about this moment, then the next generation is not going to be able to step into the fullness that God has. If you read the biblical narrative, David had the idea. David had this thought. He said this. I'm living in a palace with all these beautiful things, yet God does not have a house. And there was a desire in David's heart to build God a house, but God did not allow David to do it. He said, listen, you're a man of bloodshed, but it will be through your son. And now the dream that was in David's heart, all David could do was prepare and make way for Solomon to build what was in David's heart. Meaning God started something with David, but it was not fulfilled until Solomon came on the scene. And it was the greatest temple ever built. And I want to envision us for this. You may have dreams, you may have plans, things God has spoken to you, but some of those things will be lived out, birthed, and actually happen through your children. It will be generations beyond us that will actually see some of the things that God has spoken to us, but it takes a preparation today. It takes a decision today for us. And that's why we are in this moment where we're calling the Generations Campaign. That God would en envision us for 20, 30 years from now, what would it look like in Brandon, Florida, for God to build himself a house through a people? You say, why? That's why I want to land this on Ephesians 3. Again, where Paul is praying. This has been our anchoring verse. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family, say every, Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
that he would grant us according to his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, right? Not rooted and grounded in the things of the world, in the cultural agenda, rooted and grounded in love may also be able to comprehend with all, with how many? With all the saints, what is the width, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I love that. God, do it. Now to him who is able, say he's able, to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works within who? Doesn't just say within me, within you, within us, right? He's making it about us. It's the family coming together within us to him be the glory in the church, in Christ, into how many generations? Again, we want to get caught up in this. That God is looking for a people to strengthen on the inside and to fill them with his love, which would have, a, have us step in as a people into the fullness of God. And he wants that to happen among all generations. He wants all generations to step into the fullness of love. So this is why we believe God is leading us into a moment because we see something. We see a day where God is raising up a family that is actually going against the cultural narrative on Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Where they are saying that this will be the first postmodern generation, post-Christian generation. We reject that. We don't come into agreement with all of the labels and the assignments that, the, that a, a culture is putting on a generation. But we say, no, we reject that. Not only that, we're not just leaning into the new generation. We're learning to honor the old generation. To acknowledge that there are people in the room that have been through a few things that can be imparted. That can be taught. So again, it's not just about one. It's not, this isn't just about Gen Z and Gen... Oh, next. This is about generations. God knitting a people together for His plan and His purposes, right? So it starts with us being delivered from a me-centric life. Where everything I do, how I spend my money, my time, my calendar, my resources, is all about how Geo can feel fulfill, fulfilled. How Geo can move ahead, but we're asking, Lord, God, I want to know how you would have my family move together. I want to know your dreams and your desires over Selah, Psalm, and Judah. I want to know what you're saying about them. And after I hear your voice over their life, I want to position my family generationally to be able to move into that. So if the greatest inheritance you leave your children is a little bit of money, their college paid for, and you can buy them a car. That's good, but it's not all God has for you. The greatest thing you can leave for your children is a spiritual inheritance. That they have seen you journey with God. They have seen you love God in mountain high. They have seen you lean in on valley low. That you have modeled for them what it looks like, no matter the circumstances, come what may, I'm going God's way. I'm not changing the narrative. I'm not changing the conversation. I'm staying in the conversation with God. And I'm wrestling like Jacob for all the promises he's given me. This is what this is about. So in May, God started speaking to us about this. Like, God, what do you want us to do? And he began to speak to us about on our property, every space and place where next generation is, that we would make space for his presence to come and touch our kids. 
I want to make clear what this is about. This is not just about a remodel changing. This is about us saying, God, we believe your word. Therefore, we are going to prepare a place for them. We've heard what you've said. We're believing that you're going to encounter our children, that our youth are going to be more on fire for God than they've ever been. Listen, we have a youth group that is on fire for God, but there's always more. That they start impacting their schools, their colleges, that they're not influenced from the outside in, but they're influencing from the inside out. This is what we're dreaming and believing God for. And so it's interesting. We, we don't want to limit God, right? Listen, we don't want to limit God. We all love to limit God to a certain way he's moved. And we're thankful to God for Azusa, for Brownsville, for all the lake, all of the outpourings. We're thankful for that. But we know that something more is coming. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you won't position yourself for it. But I want to say to you, something more is coming. This isn't hyperbolic. This isn't charismania. This is us believing God that as the darkness gets greater, the light shines brighter. That we are a remnant company of people that as things get darker and more difficult, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. And so I want you to know that in the Bible, God was not just called the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. He was called over and over. He is the God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He is the God. Why? Because God refused to be limited by how he moved by one generation. Listen to what I'm saying. He could have just been the God of Abraham, could have just been the God of Jacob or the God of Isaac. But he chose to describe himself multi-generationally because he will not be limited by one move of God. The way God moves is multi-generational, and he's wanting us as a people. See, in the Old Testament, they would have understood that you weren't going to take your kids somewhere to be taught the ways of God. That it was actually an assignment by the fathers and the mothers to pass down by oral tradition what it means to be a person of faith. That the stories and the deeds of God would be passed down from generation to generation. And there would be an impartation, meaning what I've lived, I am depositing in Judah. And it's building in him something of faith where he knows, hey, listen, I've heard my dad talk about this. I know God's character. I'm not just expecting a Sunday school lesson in a room. No, he has seen us model this as a family. And I believe this is what God is calling us into. Would we move with him? I was actually preaching last week on this, and there was another gentleman who I actually love. He talked about generational synergy. And the concept of synergy is that I by myself can do something. You by yourself can do something. But when my something collides with your something, we could actually accomplish something greater together. I want to read it to you. Synergy refers to the combined cooperative action of two or more elements, entities, individuals that produces a result greater. Say greater. It's greater than the sum of their individual efforts or contributions. Meaning this, when different components or parties work together, it enhances their effectiveness. Meaning you may have a great plan and purpose, desire for your life, but actually the fullness of that may be wrapped up in you accomplishing that with someone else. And that someone else may actually look, not look like what you thought they were going to look like. And they may not be able to give you what you thought you needed, but God's ways are higher than our ways. His plans are not our plans. 
So I want you to picture this. I'm not saying that you by yourself are not great. I believe there is greatness in every person. But I believe that the greatest realm of communal greatness meeting, we're stepping into regional breakthroughs when we start to move together. It's when I start to think, I start to prefer you, you start to prefer me, but we're moving in the same direction together. And when that begins to happen, there's something called synergy. So generational synergy refers to the positive collaboration between different generations. Generations moving together, and it leverages unique strengths, unique perspectives and skills from various ages. And it requires everyone, say everyone, to come to the table. Now, we talk a lot about the table, and we're going to be talking about it a lot in the next few months, what the table means for us. But I need you to see that if we only sit at the table with people our age, our look, our vibe, we are missing something. We are missing something. So, so I want to show you something. Hey, Tommy, can you come up real quick? Let me find a young guy. Who's a good young guy? Good-looking young guy. Where are you at? Alex, where are you at? There, oh, look at, keep the shades on. So good. Alex is going to full sale this week. He's going to go learn to be greater. Yeah, he's going to full sale. We're proud of him. But I, I want you, I want to just a mental image show you. Because categorically, historically, we would say, Tommy's what the church was. And Alex is what the church is going to be. The, the picture I want you to understand is Tommy is not what the church was. And Alex is not what the church is going to be. We are the church. So if we don't understand this, we live at, with enmity towards one another, and we never come to the table. Understanding that there's something about, how many of you know Tommy's been through a few things? If you don't know, talk to him. What I know about Tommy's, all of his children are serving the Lord. What I know about Tommy's, he's wrestled through some things. So I'm not going to look at Tommy and go, well, he wears a suit jacket. The reason he wears a suit jacket is because that's how he honors God. When he wakes up in the morning, it's not that I got to wear a suit jacket because God's going to be mad. I'm honoring God with all that I am. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a fear of the Lord. There's an honor that God has put in him that needs to be transferred into a generation. And at the same time, if all we do with the next generation, I say, bro, you don't get it. Why are you wearing sunglasses inside? then we begin to shut our hearts off and say, they're not even interested in who I really am. Why are they concerned about sunglasses? I have questions that I need to answer. Why are you asking me about my glasses? So what God is trying to do, I, want, I don't, because I don't need this to be about raising money. This is about generations moving together. Is that God begins to deposit in us a desire to move towards one another. When I'm thinking about, God, I want to accomplish all you've called me to do, that Alex begins to realize, oh, I've got to find me a Tommy. I've got to talk to Tommy about what God's doing in my life, and I've got to be able to receive it. And the same way Tommy is living his life, he's not like, oh, man, God's done. Man, I love what God did. Listen, what God did in Tommy and that group in the 70s, had it not been for that, you wouldn't be sitting here. There would be no building. You wouldn't be here. But we're not going to hold on to what was and live in the 70s. We're going to position ourselves and say, God, do it again. 
I'm going to find me a Timothy. You see, everybody, everybody needs a Timothy. Everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Barnabas. And you need to realize that this is God's plan and assignment, that we would not be scattered on different sides of stages, assessing is God really moving and are they, are they the real deal? But that we come to the table and we wrestle together. And that sons, Paul would have said this, thank you, I love you. I wish I looked as good as you on a Sunday, man. You too, I'm going to wear sunglasses next week. Okay. That, that we as a people would synergize. That we would lose ourselves in one another. It's like sometimes like, oh, man, I just love coming to abide. I just love all the young people. They're jumping around. I'm like, have you talked to any of those young people? Paul said this to the church of Corinth. They had a lot going on. He said, you have many fought, you have many mentors, many teachers, many tutors, many this, many that, but you lack fathers. He said, you don't have fathers. This isn't about just men, fathers and mothers. Moving together in generational synergy and understanding that we can accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish apart. So I want to read Psalm 78 to you. Psalm 78, I want you to go there. I want you to see it. Again, this theme that the fathers were to pass down legacy and the ways of God to the next generation. In the book, I think, of Exodus or Numbers, it would have said this. As long as the father shared the acts and deeds of God with their sons, they remained faithful to God. As long as there was someone to share the stories of the supernatural activities of God in their life, the children remained aligned, but when they forgot God's acts, they moved away from his ways. So in Psalm 78, it's a psalm. They're actually describing, the, they're giving the prescription for a people who had fallen away and had become unfaithful. And he's saying this, listen, we've got to go back and share with them the ways of God. So he says this, we will not hide from their children, but we will tell to the generation to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and tell of his great might and power and the wonderful works that he has done. Do you see it? What's, what's the answer to a generation that has fallen away, that seems disinterested with God and church and religion? Start telling them what God has done. Well, I don't know what to tell them, man. Well, you need to wrestle with God and get you some God stories. Listen, our son will know when God whispered to us to go to Africa and we spent thousands of dollars to go. This is, this is the testimony of the Lord in our lives. That we continue to take risks. Listen, if you find yourself with no stories, you're in trouble. If you find yourself with no God stories and only biblical precepts, you will end with blah religion. It's the testimony of what God has done in you, in your wife, and in your marriage that will actually ignite a flame in your children to dream with God, to partner with Him, and to do the abundantly more than we can think, ask, or imagine. Do you hear me? So we will share the, the, the deeds of God, for He established a testimony. The Amplified says a specific precept in Jacob and an appointed law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach to their children the great facts of God's transactions with Israel. That's what the Amplified says. That the generation to come might know. Do you see that? I don't feel like you're catching it. 
that the generation to come might know them, that the children still to be born may arise and recount them to their children. What are they recounting? The acts and the deeds of God. Meaning what? If your children are just coming to church and hearing Bible verses, but never how those Bible verses are touching your heart and creating testimonies for him, it will never get us there. We are to recount the testimony of the Lord that they should place. Look at verse 7. The fruit of this is that they should place their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not what? Nobody wants to say it. <laughs> a generation that did not prepare. I want to stop for just a moment because I feel like that's where we're at as a community. God is asking us, will you prepare a place where I could build history with you? Not just with you, with your children and your children's children. Some of us this morning, we can't even see beyond Thursday. It's like, bro, you don't understand the pressure and the difficulty and the dysfunction. And I want to say to you that according to this scripture, there were a people that were struggle busing. They were on the struggle bus XL. And God said to them, oh, here's how you can be helped. Remember what God has done. Don't just remember it. Tell your children what God has done so that they could have confidence, not in the flesh, not in their own strength, but in God, so they would not become like the previous generation who were stubborn, rebellious, and did not prepare their hearts to know and follow God. Isn't that crazy? Whose spirit was not faithful to God. So when the ways of God, I'm going to say this really slow so you get it. When the ways of God are not passed down, when the testimony of the Lord and what he has done in you is not passed down, the byproduct and the fruit of that is unfaithfulness, stubbornness, and rebellion. This is not a rebuke. This is us having foresight into what we don't want to step into. We say, God, may our children never be categorized as stubborn, rebellious, or those who lost sight of God in his ways and knowing him. How do we stop that from happening? We bring our children to the table. And we prepare the table with multiple generations. And we begin to share what has God done. We're like, I don't even know how to get there. Listen, then we start asking God, God, I need, I need you to lead me so that I have some God stories. How many of you know a God like so many people? Man, I have never, ever, I've never seen the healed, the sick get healed. I'm like, well, have you ever prayed for the sick? No. Well, that's crazy. It's like saying, I've never, I've never driven a car. I'm like, have you been in a car? No. How do you expect to drive a car? Many of the reasons we don't have God's stories is because we're not taking risks and stepping into it. We're not stepping into trust and confidence in God that he really will accomplish. But it's crazy the things we will give ourselves to. People will spend 70, 80 hours working for a specific car. Trying to get a certain square foot house. 
thinking that, oh, that's what's going to make my kids. Because maybe you grew up, listen, I grew up in a home. At one point, there was like three or four of us sleeping in one room. Never in my time did I think, man, mom's a bad mom. I wish I had a bigger room. But you know what? I do remember the times where she leaned in and bent and she said, hey, listen, you could do anything with your life. I remember the times where she would come in in the middle of my dysfunction and she would speak life to me. Because what your children need and the generations need is actually what is God saying and not some sort of square footage or a certain car or a certain outfit. What they need is to, to, to understand what it means, what, it, what is success. So we have a working definition for success. Do you remember it? I want to read it to you. Are you with me? Success is this. It should be on the screen. Success is, say, obedience. obedience. Success. How do we define success? We want to make it simple. Success is obedience to God, being empowered by the Spirit of God, motivated by love. All of it matters. We want to be obedient, but we want the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey. But we want to be motivated by love. I don't want to be motivated by an orphan spirit. I don't want to be doing things for God to think that I'm affirmed by my doing for God. I'm loved for God whether I do or don't do. Jesus did nothing and a, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well what? Pleased. No miracles, no signs, no wonders, no ministry. So we want to be motivated by love and directed towards what? The advancement of his kingdom. We all have the propensity to build our own kingdom. How many of you can agree? Okay, this section is not telling the truth. How many of you can agree? Good, you did better. How many of you can agree? That's good. We're getting better. It's like the wave. We all have this inward pull to make our life as comfortable and pleasing as possible. The issue is that's not how Jesus defines success. Now, all of you heard right now. Here you go, bro. He's saying I got to be broke. I got to be unhappy. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what somebody really felt that here. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you live in a world that defines success by how you look, how skinny you are, how much money you got, what you wear, what you drive, things get out of perspective. And kingdom success does not look the same as worldly success. And the danger for us is that we're thinking we're setting our lives and our kids up for success, but it's according to the world's patterns. So I'm really only successful if I, got, if, I, if I get them a car, if I pay for their college, and if they get a good career. But, but the Bible says, what is the profit of man to gain all the world but lose his soul? If you direct 80% of your life to set them up for worldly success, they will succeed. Now prophesying is just what it is. We train them up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. That principle is true no matter what. Train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart. If 80 to 90% of your life is setting them up for worldly success, they will succeed. But I want to read to you how Jesus would define success. I want us to read it and hear it and think about how countercultural it is for us today. In Matthew 5, if you want to go there, I'm about to land this plane in a bit. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount. He could have said anything. In the beginning of his discourse, he could have taught you how to prophesy, how to lay hands, how to build a ministry, how to get wealthy. He could have done anything, how to prosper. And God wants all of those. How many of you know God wants the, the sick healed? 
God wants you to be prosperous as your soul prospers. He wants all of it. But he defines success on the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts like this. Blessed are those, the Amplified says, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired, are those who are poor in spirit. Say poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have an acknowledgement and understanding on how needy they are for God. They know that they are dependent upon God. And he's saying those are the people who are actually prosperous. Those who understand that they don't have it all together. That they are a needy people who need a God to come in and to help them. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who regard themselves as insignificant. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. How many of you love mourning? Oh, no, help me, God, deliver me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Do you see this? This is the picture he is painting of greatness. Blessed are those who are, who are poor in spirit, who are a dependent people. Blessed are those who mourn. They recognize their brokenness, and they're actually broken over it. Blessed are those who are gentle. They're not steamrolling people. They're not just going about their life to get their own way. They're stopping for the ones who are hurting. And they're stepping into other people's, into other people's, we're mourning with those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure at heart. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting for greatness? Now it's crazy, even in the ministry world, when we talk about kingdom success, it would be equated by how much that person has accomplished for God. Like, man, we have some heroes of the faith. We got Billy Graham. We got Reinhard Bonnke. Everybody has their own hero. You know what's crazy that I never hear? Somebody say, man, I want to talk to you about a giant of the faith. I want to talk to you about Tommy. Faithful to his wife. Shows up when he doesn't want to show up. Consistent and faithful. All of his kids love Jesus. Faithful with his resources, faithful with his time. Man of his word, says what he does, does what he says. Greatness. Nobody, you see how it doesn't get a hurrah? It's not, it's not, I'm not, it's, I love Tommy. I'm just using him as an example because I know him. But like we don't celebrate just faithful consistency before God. Some of the people we have in our minds that were heroes of the faith ended up in moral failures, this and that. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying there's something about faithful, steady dedication to God. In the mountain high, in the valley lows, that will be the greatest inheritance. That Judah will like, would you, daddy, I just don't feel like worshiping today. That's good. We don't worship when we feel like it. Well, buddy, like, what, like we don't live our lives according to what the world says is success. Like, well, buddy, daddy, this guy's doing that. I don't care. Like, daddy, I'm bored. Be bored. It's good. Bored's good. Bored is good. Be bored. All of these things that are going on, and we end up building all the wrong ways. And so, like, my primary dream for Judah is not that he would be dreaming about some ministry or sailor or psalm, but that they would think, I just want to be faithful to God all the days of my life. I want my kids to grow up to know, no, God has access to my bank account. He has access to my calendar. He has access to my friend groups. If he gives me a ministry, I'll have it. If he doesn't, I will be just as satisfied in God. 
us moving together into this Roman world, I believe will usher in something we have never seen. Because I'm telling you, we are misaligned in how we define success. The longer I walk with God, the more I am drawn to those who, have, who, who are faithful to their wife, who love their kids, who steward their resources, not just money, their time, their energy, and their strengths to be leveraged for God. Not a ministry, not a church, for God. And that they're doing that over 20, 30 years. Like, well, can he preach a message? I don't know. I really don't care because his life is ministering to me. I don't need a microphone for somebody to minister. There are sometimes I see people and I'm like, whoa, his life is preaching a message. Which leads me to my question that I kind of want to land on today is, what message is your life preaching? Think about your life and now take off all condemnation and shame that the enemy is trying to put on you right now. All of the things that you think you're not doing and you should be doing. And ask yourself right now, pretend you get a blank slate right now. My question for you this morning is, what message is your life preaching? Are we giving and are we building our lives for something that's actually going to matter? Because I believe the same way, how many of you remember in Acts 2, 120 find themselves in an upper room and the Bible says this, they were in one place, in one accord, and suddenly. Do you see this pattern? Where there are a people that are multi-generational, that find themselves in one place, but also they are in one accord, meaning our hearts are going in the same way. One accord does not mean that you are like me. It means you are you and I am me, but we're moving together. I want you to see this. Because you like unity Oh, well, unity must mean that I must surround myself with all the people that look. No, unity is not that. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is expressed greatest amidst diversity. It's when all of us come together in our differences, but we say we're moving together that we actually step into unity. But I want you to see is when a people find themselves in one place, in one accord, it ushers in the suddenlies of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Many of us, you're believing for suddenlies. How many of you are believing for a suddenly? I've got about 15 of them. I'm serious. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Some of you, you're not seeing because you're not even asking. You've, you don't even have a vision for dreaming with God yet, but God is going to give you that. And he's going to surround you around. He's going to bring some people around you that you're going to be like, I never would have thought. Like, God, you want me to disciple the sunglasses kid? It's going to be like, yeah. That's the one. Because, because that kid right there, there's divine destiny in him. And there's a story, but like, listen, he's never going to get there alone. And I use Alex because Alex has amazing parents. This has nothing to do with dysfunctional parents. This is about all of us as a spiritual family moving together. And dreaming for one another and feeling a sense of responsibility, not just for my children, but our children. 
in building the Lord a house and saying, no, God, you're going to touch our kids. Our kids will grow up having dreams and dreaming with God and believing that there's more for them and laying hands on the sick and prophesying. They will never know what it's like to be in a dead church by God's grace. I'm telling you. I said it last week, I'll say it again. I pray that if my son ever walks into anywhere where they're giving God 30%, he thinks something's wrong. That he thinks, why? Why do people go to a Buccaneers game and go crazy, but they worship Jesus? And they're like, oh, no, I don't feel it. Listen, I've watched people cheer for the Jaguars, and they're on the struggle bus. <laughs> Anthony's shaking his head. Since, oh, wait, this is the year. Yet still, still. There's people in the stadium paying money and cheering. I'm like, if they can get that, God. <laughs> this isn't like anti-sport message. I'm just saying, God, God is worthy of more than somebody throwing around a piece of leather. But here's the deal. If our kids see us giving more to that than we do in here, they'll never give more here than they do there. I'll never do it. Like, I posted a picture one time of Judah reading the Bible next to me. Like, how did you get your son to do that? I said, I didn't. My son's been seeing me do that for the last five years. Since he, since he has memory, he's seen me doing that. So guess what? The nature of a child is he wants to do what his parents are doing. Like, well, my, all my kid does is complain. I wonder where he learned that. He just doesn't listen. He just does whatever he wants. He says one thing, and then he does another thing. Now, some of that's just kids being kids, but what I'm saying is when your kids hear you say things, and then they see you do different, you're teaching them a pattern. Now, the beautiful thing about this moment is we all get to step into it together because this isn't like a geo saying, you, we've all done this. I'm stepping into like guilty as charged. We've all done this. But we get to come together as a family and say, God, give us grace. Like we want, we want the suddenlies. We want you to visit us like you visited those, those people in Acts 2. But we're not going to do it because we're not together yet. I'm still complaining as a young person about suit jackets. And suit jackets are complaining about sunglasses. And sunglasses are like, I just want to take a nap because I went to bed at 2 a.m. And it's all over. But as we begin to move together, we feel the presence of God come. And he gives us a vision for something greater than, when are we going to two services? That's not a vision. When is God going to give us a bigger building or property? That's not a vision. A vision looks like, what is Judah going to be growing up in? Think about your children. If you don't have children... I want you to understand right now what God is depositing in you right now is pivotal. He's building you right now to be able to steward those children in the right way. This isn't just going through lifetime, but, but again, God, we need grace and vision for this. So let's stand. And I just feel the, 
I just feel the tenderness of God to just actually bless parents this morning. To lift the burden of I'm a bad mom and a bad dad. And even those that you're, you've been doing a great job, but you feel stirred. To be able to just pray together. That God would give us grace for generational synergy. Again, synergy means when I bring mine and you bring yours, we do better together. But it begins with saying, God, we need proper value and we need honor. I want to share something the Lord said to me in the prayer room this week as I was praying. He said, Gio, when what you need is greater than what you have, you will relinquish your need to do it your way and you'll finally do it my way. Say it again. When what you need is greater than what you have, you will finally get to a place where you will relinquish your need to do it your way and you will finally do it God's way. It's the famous saying, until the pain of change is greater than the pain, right? You know the whole saying. Until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you'll never, you'll never change. I feel like we're there as a congregation where it's like, God, we've, we've done all we can, but I don't have enough in my bank account to cash that check. What we're dreaming and believing God for is greater than what we could ever do. Therefore, we must just come and say, God, we need your help. So maybe we can just start like that for just a moment by just asking God for grace. Just a few minutes together, maybe five minutes, we just say, God, we need you. We need you to parent our children the way that we need to parent them. God, we need you to dream over what it's supposed to look like as a church. God, we need you to show us the words to say over our kids and not to say. God, we need you to build you a house here in Brandon, Florida. We need you. Without you, we have nothing. So, Father, today we're asking you for fresh eyes to see one another, for fresh ears to hear one another, for hearts to grow in love with one another. I thank you, God, that you this morning are wanting to remove this. I felt like God wants to remove the sting of, of feeling like a failure. Everybody knows that sting. And when you feel like you failed, you automatically, you disqualify yourself from the conversation. But I feel like God is saying, I want to remove the sting of what feels like failure. And I actually want to pray for you this morning. If you're in this room, you're like, I just feel like I've, I've missed it. Like I haven't hit the mark when it comes to like raising up my kids. Maybe you're like, I just need a reset. Again, this is not a shaming moment. But if you feel that, even if, you, if you're hearing today, you're like, I just feel bad. Like I didn't do, I didn't do that. I want to pray because I don't want anybody here leaving today feeling like I just didn't, I, I messed it all up. But I actually want God to fill you with hope that he can redeem all things. So if you're hearing that, you're like, I just feel like I need a prayer this morning. Would you just raise up a hand all across the room? Yeah, they're all over. It's good. I want my shepherds to just move around right now. We're going to pray right now. That nobody would leave here feeling like, man, I, I just, I messed it up. I should have done better. Just, just move around right now. 
we're going to pray that God lifts the sting and the burden. Hey, Kyle, will you pray right behind you, Kyle? That God would lift the burden and that he would give you grace. I'm telling you, he'll do it. God's hand to restore is greater than any dysfunction. So, Father, in Jesus' name right now, God, we pray for mercy and grace over every son and daughter in this room. Father, that you would release love and affirmation. And even now, for every son and every daughter, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would touch and restore and renew. We thank you, God, that your word over their life is alive. It's real. And we tell the enemy to get their hands off of our children. That every assignment, every word, every deed that was done, God, we ask you for redemption and restoration in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that your blood speaks a better word over our children, over our parents, over our families. So we just say over you, receive grace. This is why grace is here. God, we ask that they would receive grace. In Jesus' name, would you bring affirmation? We just speak over you that you are not a bad mom and dad. You're not a failure. I felt that, man. If that's you, it could be one person in the room. God is removing the sting of failure. That crippling feeling, like everywhere I look, I'm comparing it, I'm not doing enough. That God, by His grace, would affirm you and would let you know you're doing great. Father, we ask for grace to dream. God, I thank you that you are creating our homes as a dwelling place. Maybe you just grab the hand of your spouse next to you. Let's just, right now, if you're with someone, you live with someone, it's fine. Let's just together pray. If you're single, that's fine, man. Let's just consecrate our homes. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to make our homes a dwelling place for God, a dwelling place for you. God, help us to redefine success. Help us to live according to the Beatitudes. Give us poorness of spirit. Teach us to mourn. Give us purity of heart. Make us gentle. Make us makers and maintainers of peace. Help us, God, when we walk into persecution or ridicule to stand firm. To be able to walk out Matthew 5 and to stand. We thank you, God. The last thing I want to pray for together, actually, is we're going to be raising $30,000 between now and the end of the year to make space for the next generation to be impacted. And I want us to pray together for, number one, the resources, but number two, that God would encounter our children like never before. Can we pray that together? I want us to start praying for this and have a vision for it. I'm thankful for all God has done in my three children, but I want more. And so I'm asking God to speak to every one of us as a family, that everybody does their part, but also that we seed the ground with prayers. So let's do it together. I want to hear you pray. God, in Jesus' name, we pray for our children 
from our nursery to our next-gen building, God, to our young adults. We pray, God, that you would deposit the testimony of the Lord upon their heart. That they would grow up knowing the ways of God, the acts of God, the testimonies of God. And Father, that they would have their own God stories. That you would begin to meet them in services, in prayer rooms, as they gather together. That the Holy Spirit would descend upon them, God. We ask you for the resources. God, we believe your word. And we're asking you, as we create a space, would you fill it? Would you fill it with your presence, with your glory, with the fear of the Lord? We're asking you, God, may every, every square inch of this property be full of God. As we do our part to partner with you in creating the space, would you do like you did in Solomon's temple? Would you come with fire and with glory? And would you touch that place? We pray for that building next door. That as we renovate, as we remodel, just like Solomon built you a temple, would you fill it with your presence? Would you fill it with your presence? May every time people meet in that building, from the youth to the kids to the young adults to the Afghan ministry, would you fill it with your glory, which changes lives? We want it to be more than just a physical renovation. We're asking you for something spiritual. That the physical would be representative of the spiritual. And God, would you speak to us about how to partner with you in this time. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. <laughs> and amen. Hey, listen. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing more about the Generations campaign. But we're going to be doing it for the next few months. We're going to talk about Generations, about our new, our new, our new way of life here at Abide, Altar Table Road. And we want to invite you on the journey. But to also pray and partner, ask God, how can I partner with the vision of building you a house? Amen. If you're going to be in our membership and DNA, it's going to be next door in about 15 minutes. But Pastor Tyler's going to come up. He's going to close us and give us some instructions. Amen. Yeah. Uh, if you are right now, you're just feeling like, I just need some more personal prayer. If I could actually have some of my shepherds, those who lead our house churches, these are like some of our um, pastors in our community. You guys could just come right here. A selection of you guys just come. Lewis, Kenny, a couple other more of you guys, Curtis. Um, they'll be down here for you guys to receive more intentional prayer. If you need something, please come see them and their wives. Also, if you're in the room this morning and you are just feeling like either one, you don't know Jesus or number two, you have been just gone for so long, you are unsure where you sit with him. I wanna encourage you this morning right now to come find someone and to make that confession of faith right now. You can have complete life transformation this morning. So I wanna invite you to do that. We love you guys. If you have signed up through the internet, through our portal for um, the, uh, Mem DNA membership across the table stuff, the lunch over there, um, you should already know. Um, and so we'll be over there shortly. Go ahead and head over there. Get your kiddos. We love you guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Amen.